Hello there, and welcome to Gilded in Blood, the Horror Lit Podcast. My name is Kevin, and today's episode is going to be another short shock episode. We are going to be talking about one of the best horror short stories, certainly, but possibly one of the best short stories, period, of all time. This is Shirley Jackson's The Lottery. Now, if you've listened to some of my previous episodes, you will have heard this shtick before, so you can ignore it, or you can hear it again, you can skip forward, whatever you want to do. For those who haven't heard it, I am making a demand. You do not get a choice in the matter. Usually, I'm pretty ambivalent as to whether you read the story or the book under discussion before you listen to the podcast episode. I'm usually pretty easygoing about it. Not on this one. You have to read this short story before you listen to this episode. I do not give you permission to listen to this before you read the story. There is so much pleasure in reading the story, going into it, knowing literally nothing about it. It will turn your head around on your shoulders. It's one of the best twists of all time. Please, please don't be a jerk and and listen to this before you read the short story. Don't get this story ruined for you. It's not a long story. Go find this short story. Look it up on the internet. Go borrow it from somebody. Read this short story and then listen to the podcast uh, episode. I, I have some interesting stuff to talk about it, but you really do need to experience it on your own first. So that being said, now the choice is up to you. You're either going to be an ass or you're not going to be an ass. So uh, hopefully you've chosen the latter and let's continue on. Now, this is collected in, uh, for me, the collection that I took it from is called The Lottery and Other Stories. And if you get your hands on this collection, Yes, the lottery is the shining jewel of it. However, every single story in this collection is a banger. It's it's a home run. Uh, Shirley Jackson, certainly the undisputed queen of the haunted house story with Haunting of Hill House, but she was also maybe one of the best practitioners of the short story ever to live. So you really need to check all of those out. But of course, the lottery is is the one. So We start our story with something very interesting, something that I want you to take from this podcast and apply it to whatever else you read for the rest of your life. And that is that a good author will never give you a specific piece of information without it being important. Never going to happen. If you get something that is so specific as to make you kind of raise your eyebrows, there's something going on there. You need to understand what that has to do with the story. And we start off this story with a very specific piece of information, and that is that this story takes place on June 27th. Now, those of you who uh, look at the sky and pay attention to uh, the seasons will note that that is very close. It's just after the summer solstice. Now, why is that important? We're going to talk about that a little bit later, but keep that in mind. The summer solstice has just happened as this story begins. Now, there are ominous signs from the jump in this story. Everybody in this little town is gathering together for some sort of event. And one of the first things that we see is that the people who are there first, usually the children, they collect stones for whatever's coming. They make a big pile of stones. And more interestingly, 
everybody kind of avoids looking at that pile of stones. So there's there's some ominous touches right off the off the bat. Now the village is never named, but these people are clearly farmers. These people get their living from the land. So that summer solstice may be a little bit more important here. And it's noted that uh there's not a lot of laughter. Uh, laughter is kind of muffled. Uh, these people are subdued. They're quiet. They are anxious. Uh, and we're, we're going to find out why. Now, we hear a little bit about the different members of the community and some pieces of information that we may take uh, in one direction, but knowing what happens at the end, we can look back at those and see that maybe there's another reason why people feel this way. So, for example, uh, people feel sorry for Mr. Summers because he has no children and his wife is a scold. And the wife being the scold is at the end of the sentence, so that's kind of what people attach to. Well, yeah, his his wife is just one of those people who, who really kind of likes to bear down on him. But... At the end of the story, you're actually going to find out that people really feel sorry for him because he has no children. It is just him and his wife, and that's going to be important when you realize what the people are gathering together to do here. There are hints of how long this tradition has been going on. There's references that uh, originally that chips of wood were used where now pieces of paper are used. So there's this sense that this has been going on for quite some time, and there's a hesitance at the disruption of the elements of tradition. Uh, we gave over to paper slips because as the village grew, chips of wood became impractical. But we noticed that the box that the, the sheets of paper are put into has been kept, even though it's a little bit shabby, because we don't want to throw away the tradition. There's a mention of, in the past, there were certain elements to this that have not survived to the day, uh, chants and, and recitals. And that brings up the thoughts of, you know, rites and rituals. And this links this, whatever this event is going to be, to magic or religion. And everybody seems to be on good terms with each other, which makes it all the more distressing when we find out what we find out at the end. And Mrs. Hutchison arrives late. That's that's a that's a, a pointed note that happens as Mrs. Hutchison arrives late, and everybody waits until she is present to start. There is this sense that everybody needs to be present for this to go off the way it's supposed to go off. So as Mrs. Hutchison arrives, this process begins, and we start to see this event play out. And this process is rigid and structured. Each man, each head of the family, draws for his household, taking a slip of paper out of the box and keeping it folded. So everybody, every man goes up, takes the paper out, holds it by his side. Um, it's noted that one family, the, the man of the family has a broken leg, can't be there, so the wife draws for their family. So there's this regimentation that uh, offers a curious element of tension to this story. What, what is happening? Why is it so regimented? There, this seems thought out. This seems planned. What is happening? Now, as these names are being called and people are coming up and drawing out of the box, other people in the crowd talk to each other, and there's talk of a village up north giving up the lottery. And there's a uh, character named Old Man Warner, kind of the, the prototypical crotchety old man. 
And he is pissed at this idea. He says, there's always been a lottery. There's this petulant kind of tone to him. He says, there's always been a lottery. Damn fools think that they can change tradition. Damn fools think they know better. There's always been a lottery. And he even says, the way they're thinking, they'll want to go back to living in caves. So the lottery for him equals sophistication. What they're doing here is the mark of a society that has its shit together. And to throw that away means that you're becoming an animal again. Which, we'll talk about the the concept of irony, but this is a terribly ironic statement given what is coming. Now, after everybody has drawn the pieces of paper, everybody opens them, and you see that most of the papers are blank. There's nothing written on them, but Bill Hutchison, Mrs. Hutchison's husband, has a piece of paper with a dot drawn on it. Now, anybody who's read Treasure Island or knows anything about kind of pirate lore, that's a bad sign right off the bat. Uh, and, and it is here as well. Now, after Bill Hutchison reveals that he has the spot, they count up the members of the family and then put that many slips of paper plus the one with the spot back into the box and every member has to go up and pull a slip of paper. So here's where one of the best slices of irony works really well in this story is that when we hear the lottery, what do you think of? You probably think of money, don't you? You, th- you think of a prize, you think of uh, a trip or a car or uh, anything that you know, something good. But what really unnerves the reader as you're going through the story is that uh, winning this lottery does not seem to be a good thing. We don't know what's coming, but we know it ain't good. So that's where uh, the major part of irony really lives in the story is that when you hear a story called the lottery, you're thinking, oh, somebody's going to win something. Well, they're going to win something, but they're not going to like it. And this plays into one of the more interesting things that happens. Mrs. Hutchison tries to include her daughter and her family. Says, well, why don't you make... Uh, her draw with her family, add those slips in as well. And when we find out what happens to the person who draws the, the slip with the spot, you see how heartless that really is. But in a society where this takes place every year, it would breed heartlessness as a method of survival. More slips, more chances that you don't get the spot. And everybody draws even their young son, uh, I believe his name is Davy, if I'm not mistaken, uh, like three or four years old is, is kind of brought up to the box and made to grab a, a, a slip of paper and, and go back and hold it. So whatever is going to happen here, nobody is exempt. There is no member of society who gets an out here. Everybody plays. And predictably enough, I, I suppose, Mrs. Hutchison draws the spot. And now that pile of stones comes into play because everybody goes over, fills their pockets, fills their hands with stones, and they stone Mrs. Hutchison to death at the end of the story. And that is what the lottery is, death. Now, let's talk about some elements here. We already talked a little bit about the irony here. I want to go back to what old man Warner was saying. You know, the lottery equals sophistication. Uh, the idea of giving up stoning a person to death every year is stupid. It's barbaric. It's, it's uncivilized. So that's, that's a real ironic statement. Of course, the title, as we've discussed, and there's other uh, little ironies throughout. 
let's go back to that piece of information that we're given at the very beginning. Uh, this is None of this is made explicit. This is all conjecture by the reader, but I think it's pretty valid, precisely because Shirley Jackson, being an excellent writer, would not give us that specific date if it weren't important. These people are farmers. They make their living off of the land. And at the summer solstice, the day when the sun is in the sky for the longest period of time in the year, what do these people do? What do these farmers do? They spill the lifeblood of a person out onto the ground. They give life so they can receive life and in terms of a good harvest and things of that nature. So everything works together like clockwork here, and it all does make a, a, a sick, frightening sort of sense. Uh, it's a fairly short, pretty simple story. In, in terms of what actually happens, people draw slips out of a box and then one person dies. That's really all the story is, but its implications are immense. What, what would happen if society decided to function in this way? Basically drawing straws every single year. It's, it's terrifying. It's really, really off-putting. Now, this was originally published in The New Yorker, on June 26th, 1948. And the magazine and the author received hate mail. People were so upset about this story. Many canceled their subscriptions to The New Yorker. New Yorker still is on record of saying that that is the strongest response that that magazine has ever gotten from a story. It was a powerful story. It was something that really moved people, whether uh, delighted them or disgusted them. I, I believe I read somewhere where Shirley Jackson's mother was not too big a fan of it. But uh, it's it's a fantastic story. It's a wonderful use of the twist ending which has become a bit overused today, but it's it's really instructive to go back and read some of these stories that did it for the first time and to try to put yourself back into that mode where you didn't come across things like that in books or short stories or movies much. Somebody pulling the rug out from under you uh, when you thought you were going along fine. It's a great short story. I really, I desperately hope you paid attention to what I asked you to do. I hope I did not ruin this short story for you. I hope you got to read it for the first time and experience it. And hopefully it dropped your jaw because it certainly did for me. I love it. It's one of the best stories of all time. And I'm so happy that I was able to share my thoughts about it with you. Of course, thanks for listening. Next week, we're going to get back into a full episode. That's going to be a visual villainy episode, and we're going to talk about a manga, Junji Ito's Uzumaki. So if you want to prepare for that, I suggest you do. And the week after that, we'll get on with another short story, which I believe will be, let me flip through my little notebook here, a classic from M.R. James, Oh Whistle and I'll Come to You, My Lad. So if you need to start getting that one read, I suggest you do. As always, thanks to Swarm for the use of his music. You can find this podcast on any of the normal platforms. You can Google Gilded in Blood podcast. It'll pop up. Or you can go directly to the source, gildedinblood.buzzsprout.com. And until next time, stay safe and stay spooked.